All right. I'm going to go ahead yep. and stop this stream and create a new one. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm I'm here and I can hear you guys now. Oh, oh, oh hey! hey <laughs> All it took was the threat I, of nope. doing that. I, I just I just didn't want to inter- interrupt the the conversation on on the OC thing. No. We're gonna punt and start over now. And now that everyone's in, <laughs> new stream. <Yeah. laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's jiving with the hive mind. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, in this episode, we are getting our look at the first of the new editions 40k codexes. And we are going to be talking about the new codex uh, Tyranids. And specifically, we're going to be looking at like the format of the codex and the new things in the codex. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to our main segment. But uh, we want to start off with uh, talking about a couple other things. Uh, we've got a Nova Open preview coming up. By the time this episode is out, that preview will have been done. But we are recording before that. So we do not know exactly what will be included with that. Uh, but uh, we will hopefully, you know, it's like I can't comment on it now because I, I mean, I don't know what's in it. So <laughs> I'm going like, to say I, models. Most likely, <laughs> they're going to preview some models, Eldar models. Oh God, I hope not. They don't need any. Eldar more. needs more stuff. <laughs> yeah, that that army really needs a power boost. <laughs> no, not a power boost, like a sculpt boost. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, what year is it? Because <laughs> some of those are some of those uh, sculpts have <laughs> are nearly thirty years old. So yeah, yeah. There's yeah. They need. But so yeah, so there will be that we, we this we won't be covering that in this episode, but uh, but look forward to the, uh, hearing and discussing that later. Uh, but also, I know uh, Kevin, you finished up your Escalation League down there at oh god, what's the store's name? Athoria, Athoria Games. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you finished up your league at Athoria Games. Uh, how did that end up going for you? So it, it went pretty well. Um, I did miss several weeks because of just scheduling and work. And there was a week where I had a game scheduled and then got sick like the morning of and just was like, ah, I'm not going to go. Um, so I did end up finish finishing last because I've played, I think, three fewer games than than some of the other people in the in the league. Also, uh, didn't come close to winning any of my games so which is a problem when you're trying to score points so um, (laughs) i i can blame like missing some weeks for finishing last but that's really just an excuse because world leaders are not in a great place (laughs) but the last game i played uh played you know we we went all the way up to 2000 points uh so the last game i played i decided to kind of since i already knew i was going to finish last it was just kind of the last game for fun i played um tyranids again and I'd played this Tyranid player at 1,000 points. Um, so I kind of knew what his list was, so I took a different list this time. Uh, Angron, Lord of Skulls, three uh, Mauler Fiends, three Hellbrutes, and a unit of Jackals. Because uh, I'm like, I want to see what vehicles do in this list. Because one of the downsides is like lack of high-strength, high-toughness uh, models in the infantry. And um, 
I think individually they were all good models. Lord of Skulls really gets work done, which is nothing new. Angron's a beast, uh, but kind of a glass cannon. The the triple six thing uh, to bring him back when he's dead is so very tempting because I rolled three different turns because he died like bottom of two. I rolled six six five, six six five, and six six five. Like several times. I'm like, ah, so close yet so far. Um, but anyway, uh, I think individually all the units were pretty good. Uh, just the lack of like units, just total, like just meant that he could kind of focus fire and focus in on units and, you know, and work on killing this, doing this, kill, you know, killing this, killing this, etc. Um, he did Shadows in the Warp, and we had a conversation before we were starting recording about how. Battleshock doesn't really do much. Uh, Battleshock may have won him the game because there was a turn where he basically was able to Battleshock my entire army and I couldn't spend any stratagems for counterattacking, couldn't pop any of my World Eater stratagem abilities in melee, and ended up losing like the Lord of Skulls and a couple of Mauler Fiends in that round of combat because I couldn't pop some of my defensive stratagems. Um, but yeah, um, I also, my dice completely abandoned me that game. I failed a bunch of, like, medium to short charges. And at one point, the uh, Lord of Skulls hit a unit of uh, Tyranid Warriors. And I rolled, like, my sweep attacks. And I think I hit with one or two of the attacks. And it gets 17. So <laughs> um, that that combat went longer than it needed to because I just, oof, it was bad. Um, I... I- I was gonna say with the fact that your entire army got battle shocked, not not just got had to take battle shock tests, but apparently failed all of yeah. them. Uh, I, I, that happens to my Votan a lot so when I play Tyranids. What's really funny is I believe the jackals didn't, but they were not on an objective because they were running around because they have the sticky objective thing, so it didn't matter. I'm like, so yeah, the one unit that I actually don't didn't care about was the one that like actually <laughs> made this battle shock test. Um, <laughs> But it was a very fun game. Uh, it was a really fun Escalation League. Um, I believe... I'd have to look. I, I believe the Tau player won. Um, won overall and won Best Painted uh, in the league. Um, I know they've posted some stuff up on their Facebook page. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. There's another one starting in a couple of weeks. I am probably not going to play in this one because work is going to be insane for the next like two to three months. Um but uh, yeah, I had a blast with it. It was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that they that they did it. It was fun to, you know, meet new players in the area and uh, and just kind of get into and and learn 10th edition. Um, and we were kind of talking about some things to do going forward to like potentially, uh, you know, make the Escalation League work a little bit better or things like that. So one thing we were talking about was potentially starting with like Combat Patrol. So, like, everybody brings a combat patrol army, and then you build from specifically from that combat patrol army through the Escalation League. So, a um, couple neat ideas, things that we could do, uh, things that they can do going forward. So, but yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Good, good. And then, Dennis, you've been having some uh, more casual games with some newer players. Yeah, we've, we've got a small group here that, um, outside of going to the stores for the tournaments, we kind of gather on play a game where there's right now four of us and so we just do 2v2 on each side so each person brings a thousand points and so this time we rolled off and took like the top two in a d20 and the bottom two in the d20 to decide our pairings um 
So it was me playing sisters with, uh, I was paired up with one of the new guys who brought Necrons. And then the other side was, um, Tyranid player plus one of the new guys who's trying out Eldar. And the, the Eldar player, he's bought the, um, combat patrol and then he's got a box of shining spears and he's got all that pretty much built in together so to flesh out to a thousand he just had me bring some things for him which was mostly a um spirit seer the wraith guard because they are so good and also even prior to getting into the game and knowing that they were that good he was really into the idea of wraiths um and then also an autark with the um the way leaper so he could have a lone operative who can kind of just help him with command points. And yeah, so that was, and the Tyranid player had a bunch of monsters on the board um, and two squads of three, uh, not neurothropes, uh, the psychic ones, zoanthropes. Yeah. And they were annoying and I knew they were annoying. So like top of one, I marched my Paragon war suits as far as they could. And I took out, two of the three in one of the squads because I'm like, I can't let those things live. And the Tyranid player failed so many saves. I kind of felt a little bad, but I didn't because I knew what those things can do. Um, also on the Necron side, he brought a um, Satan shard, a Doombringer Shadow, not Shadow King. I don't know. One of them. And it was just like attack nuke in melee because he just kind of launched it across the board and everything was getting into melee with it and everything that was in melee with it, he got to roll a D6 or actually no, after it did melee everything within six inches, well, all enemy units within six inches, he got to roll a dice and on a four up, they took mortal wounds, which since he was just putting it in the middle of the enemy forces, they were taking so many mortal wounds from that. And that thing is hard to kill. I think it's got like reduced damage and feel not feel maybe I think it might have feel. I don't know. It just did not die for a long time, but thankfully the, the Necrons were absorbing all of the firepower. So my sisters could pretty much stay alive because between that and a squad of Lich guard that was controlling the middle of the board, our opponents just dumped all the firepower into them. They finally got rid of the Lich Guard. It took a couple turns. They got rid of the giant guy, the, and it took a couple turns. So they only, or maybe one turn. So they only had like a couple turns of trying to move out of their deployment zone. And that's kind of what ended up winning us the game on our side is we got to where we controlled the board. And even like one of the Necron forces on one of the flanks, got taken down to like a single Necron and the Lord that was with it. And he got it onto objective. And then two turns later, it was back up to full because they had the opponents lost their firepower and were trying to put the firepower elsewhere. And any squad with regenerative capabilities is just, you, you have, you, you can't let up on it. It's, and I think Necron's whole army is like that. And yeah. Tyranids, Tyranids, at least the endless swarm ones feel like that. Um, I'll also agree. Shadows in the warp here kind of affected me when it went off. Um, all of my battle sisters passed completely. My two units that failed were Morvan Vol's unit and Celestine's unit. <laughs> uh, Celestine didn't matter actually. Cause I, I brought her in, in the enemy's back line 
uh, to kind of disrupt it. And it worked because even though I didn't take out the jet bikes that were air quote hiding there because they had range on other things, um, he turned them around and, and tried to shoot Celestine's unit, which got rid of all the Zephram that was with them. But that was firepower that wasn't focused on the Necrons. So, and it was also the thing where he couldn't maneuver out because he didn't want, he didn't want to get close to Celestine for some reason. So weird, um, weird. I know <laughs> the Paragon war suits though. It did hurt. Cause then I couldn't spend stratagems on Morvin's squad. And that was my only squad that was doing work against the Tyranids. Cause that Paragon squad, like I said, in the beginning took out some of the, um, Zoanthropes. It took out a Trigon that tried to appear in my, our back line. It took out the, um, Termagant with a giant gun that was causing problems. Um, but then after that, they died, and then the Hive Tyrant was still left alive. And he came over and just kind of had, said, oh, sisters, you're, you're all dead. Yeah, well, not all dead. I, the, they were against, well, the Battle Sisters died, but then the Sancrescents, um, did well because the Palatine leading them was able to, I was still wounding on sixes, which hurt, but I spent, um, a miracle die for the Palantine's ability that lets me when I wound, I cause a mortal wound in addition. And so I was then air quote, using up all my sixes on miracle dice in like one round to get all those wounds in there because I don't have that restriction like Eldar do. And I, I did hurt the hive tyrant a lot. I think I got it down in the end to like two wounds left, but was unable to finish it off. And thus that took, and that crumbled my side of the board, and all I had left at that point was just one Battle Sister squad, which was holding the point in our objective zone. Oh, and Celestine, who was... <sighs> she was off on the other side of the board, and I was being nice slash silly of, I don't want to, didn't want to take mortal wounds, because he had two of the guns that shoot spore mines. And so, yeah, he was keeping on just trapping Celestine, saying, oh, you want to come towards us? Here, either shoot the spore mine or walk up to it and take mortal wounds. And so I was spending my entire turns with them just clearing out the spore mines. And the next turn, he'd put two more back. And so it was like, okay. <laughs> so Celestine did nothing that game because, I mean, Tyranid player did a good job of, I mean, I could have probably sacrificed um, the bodyguards to kind of, of the Gemini to take those mortal wounds, but I was like, eh, we're doing okay, and this keeps him from putting spore mines elsewhere, so I'll take this sacrifice. But in, in the end, it was a fun game, and it was once again, you need board control and playing to the objectives is you, you have to focus on that no matter what you're doing, even if you have like the stronger army. Although I think of the four, the Necrons felt the strongest, what I saw. Um, just board control and, and playing to the objectives is, is kind of what, and it's a learning experience for the two new guys. And so, and one of them is definitely hampered by his collection right now, but he's fine with that. Cause he's like, this is how I learned. This is how I build. And then after our game, he said, I need something that can handle big things. And so he, he went ahead and picked up the avatar. So I'm expecting uh, that's next. Definitely a solution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm expecting next time we play that the, the avatar will be on the board. I don't know if I'm going to be fighting with it or against it, but it'll be on the board. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, I mean, Eldar cranking up to the Eldar good stuff. Um, slowly. I mean, slowly. you start out small and then you learn what you like. You learn what's good and then you build to it. 
But basically what I'm gathering is the Necrons carried you in that game. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the only, like I said, the only workhorse I really had was the Paragon Warsuits. Um, the sisters were there just to sit on two objectives and get me Miracle Dice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Celestine did nothing. I hate saying that because I really like her, but mm-hmm. so, some games she just doesn't. That's yeah, I mean, that, and, it's been like that since they re-released her, you know. So. And that was my entire army. We really was was those units. So yeah, <laughs> that's awesome though, that you've got a got a new play group getting together there. That is yeah. that is awesome to see, uh, and that they're kind of starting to move beyond just you, uh, you know, providing stuff and they're doing their own things now. So. Yeah, we talked into an, another guy showed up and he he downloaded the app. Oh my gosh, UW, please keep this app free. Because um, that's the way, because it has the rules so people can read and they can get into it. And because the game, I mean, you can explain, people can watch, but being able to look at the armies, see the rules for them, do all that in an app where you can just test out your own builds before you buy things is an amazing thing. And without that, I don't know that I... I mean, it's helped me recruit people. I'll say that because I don't know if this this fifth guy will join in, but he seemed interested. Um, so we'll, we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, unfortunately, by the time you hear this episode, the app may not be free anymore. At least, the, okay. So the rules will still probably be available, but the mm-hmm. the army builder will not be free. I I will say this though, um, they did finally update Battlescribe for tenth edition. So at least you know. For the short term, until they, until something else gets developed, like Battlescribe is available and free and updated well, for 10th edition. Fair. So I think the biggest things I, I want f- still free. I mean, the builder. If if we have to go to Battlescribe, that's mm-hmm. fine. But keeping the rules and the the index cards or just the because. De- that's how they can look to see what things do to determine if they want to pick that up or if this model looks cool. I, I want to see what it does type thing. And that's a, the pictures on them are the big sellers because it just words doesn't do the, a lot of things. Justice. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I normally don't pay much attention to other 40 K podcasts. Cause again, I, you know, I've mentioned this in the past. I don't want to accidentally absorb their own ideas and just end up parroting them. But uh, there is there is a pair of guys that I watch on YouTube from time to time called Poor Hammer Podcast. And I think I've mentioned them before on like, a, could could you build an army? F- like, what army could you build for $500? Which turns out like, None. yeah, Grey Knights and Custodes <laughs> were about the only ones you could with any and and Space Marines because they're everywhere. But uh but they just released a video a few days ago called uh, We Tested Every 40K Bil- Army Builder So You Don't Have To. And uh, one of the two hosts actually had his wife go through because, you know, somebody who was very <laughs> new to these and was like, what's your experience with these? And basically it came down to they all kind of suck in their own unique ways. Um, the the 40K app is probably one of the better ones, but it is still clunky to navigate through. And, of course, it's the freeness of it is going away. Uh, Battlescribe has a big old asterisk of next to it because the developer like was AWOL for a while then popped back up to say no no I'm working on it and then disappeared again like two weeks later and nobody's heard from him in over a year but as, as you said like the 10th edition stuff is out now for it thanks to the the people that actually do the data files 
but again, it's like if you, I, I can't recommend removing the ad support from it because there's no reason to pay somebody who's not actually working on the app. Um, there was uh, another one. I think it was called Rosterizer uh, that was just looked like bad and i think you had to manually input everything because the data is actually kind of uh the problem as far as like making this widely available and they also talked about like new recruit which is a web-based version using the battle data files which is still in development and like just using excel spreadsheets or, or <laughs> the the free equivalent um and yeah so it's like there's not a good option the 40k app is probably the best of the options, but the fact that it's going to be locked behind a Warhammer Plus subscription, and I say that as somebody who has a Warhammer Plus subscription, I still don't think it should be paywalled behind one. Especially because, as we mentioned last episode, there's a perfectly good uh, Age of Sigmar army builder on their website for free, and I it's mean, slightly more complex than this now. Don't give them ideas. They're going to move that behind the paywall, too. Well, their 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 phone based one is behind the paywall because I you know mm. since I've yeah, <laughs> but but it's like then that's like if you want to keep your lists around and stuff like that and have them on your phone for easy access because oh, I did try this out, Rob, which I didn't realize. Um, what I I've been using the tablet for the 40k app, and so then last night I the tablet was charging, so I I downloaded and did everything on my phone. None of my armies were there, so they're saved, I guess, locally, not in the cloud. Aha. <laughs> well, that kind of defeats, like, why am I paying for an app that's just going to save things on my phone anyway? Boo. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, unfortunately, that app is probably not going to stay free. Although they did announce what the Warhammer Plus models are going going to be, and you get a either a pretty decent-looking Casterkin or a really neat-looking Vampire Lord. Yeah, pretty I'm, cool. I think I still messed up on my Warhammer Plus stuff since I subscribed through Apple, and thus it's it's kind of janky. And I know last year I had a hard time getting the model, so I'm expecting I'll have the hard time getting the model this time as well. Yeah, I I did the same thing, Dennis, and yeah, I had that experience of it being a little hard to like. I had to email them to to actually have them you know, say that I had the free model available and uh, I'm, I'm kind of expecting the same thing again this year too. So unfortunately, so am I, I just wish GW and Apple could be nice to each other. I, guess. I when the new app came out, I thought, Oh, this is a perfect uh, time for me to like cancel my subscription through Apple and then just try and do it through the website. But since I had already like I have, I would have to like, com- I think completely let it run out mm. and lapse. Yeah. Because yeah, that's it, not it, a great it, answer. It, because it, it only wanted me to like, I tried clicking on subscribing and, and it was like, you're yeah, an I Apple subscribe. subscriber, subscribe yep. through Apple. Yep. No, I Thanks. had the same thing when I tried because mine, ex- September 1st is my renewal thing. So I was trying to that exact same thing. Yeah, mine mine actually renews today. <laughs> like I'm, just, I'm looking on the site here to see like when I can claim the model. And it's like, oh, it renews today. Cool. I think mine renews soon. I haven't even. I should check that real quick. Yeah. 
It, it does say for me, like on the website, that I can't claim the new model until uh, 9.18, so, which is fine. Yeah, same, same here. Yeah, available in zero days. Uh, where's the... Uh, yeah, mine renews tomorrow. <laughs> the one thing that I do, that I, since we're complaining about Warhammer Plus real quick, one thing that I do <laughs> kind of dislike real, real quick is like you get to claim the free model, which is great. And then you can buy the other model. What I want is I want the ability to buy the ter- the war- the World Eaters Terminator model again. I want to buy more of it, and it won't let me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you only need one. Why would you? I mean, there's surely you just run them as a Terminator Lord. Oh, right. Oh. Well, no. See, see, the thing is, it's a trick. I can't run them as a Terminator Lord, so I just need five so I can run them as a unit of Terminators. And it's Fair. just a cool model, and I'd like yeah. I'd like to have another one. He but. is a cool looking model. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, Warhammer, Warhammer Plus, and Warhammer, no. and yay. Yeah. I would, I would say, give it a year because I do know if you go to the website now, you can buy the ones from the first year. I just don't uh, know. If- when I was looking, it said they were unavailable. Let me double check. Well, they might say unavailable. I was mentioned that was probably they're out of stock, but they look like they're both there now. Okay, yeah, let me try that. Yeah. But it means you'd have to wait a whole nother year. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Like, I can add him, but I didn't get him. I got the Age of Sigmar model. Right. So, Well, I mean, if you want to pick one up, I'll see you <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Kevin will not complain. Apparently, I can... Okay, no. I, I, it's like, oh, this one's for the Age of Sigmar one is free. Already claimed in my account. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, just anyway, a yeah, minor, yeah, minor complaint, Ma- mainly because I think the model looks cool and I want another one. <laughs> yeah, and the Vindicare Assassin is listed as like no longer available. Yeah. So, yeah, the best you can do is find out more, which takes you to the Warhammer Plus page, but you can't <laughs> order it from the Warhammer Plus page. So you just know it not for you. Ah, but speaking of models, speaking of models, uh, Richard GW was kind enough to send us the new uh, new models for the uh, Tyranid line, and yep. uh, you've had a chance to put a few together. Yes, um, I put together. I started with with the big boy. I, I put together the the Norn emissary, which went together like surprisingly fast for for a big model i think um went together really easily and he is pretty cool uh it uh is taller than an armager and but not quite as tall as as like a, a standard knight just great detail i i really like the model the and then i put together the new uh, Biovore Pyrovore kit. Uh, I put it together as a Pyrovore. Um, and it was a little, it was a little more fiddly to go together, mainly just fitting the legs to the body and then putting it onto the base. And the leg, the way the legs slot into the body is not very, 
like they could have been notched a little more so that there was definitely the the ang- the right angle that it's supposed to fit in so that the legs would all fit flat onto the base and it it was a cuz when i got him together he just was a little a, a little lopsided <laughs> like he leaned a little bit to one <laughs> side when i when i finished gluing him down to the base um so that could have been a little better but like i mean it's still a it wasn't too terribly hard to put together after that um and then right now i'm putting together the the neurolictor who is a little bitty jigsaw puzzle <laughs> oh my cuz <laughs> cuz like he's like the i've got his main body together now and like the way it goes together like the seams are like really well hidden uh, into the details of the model and like it's gonna be a really cool model once I get it put together but like it's a little challenging figuring out how some of these like it piece 11 and piece 12 go together I, I'm not quite sure exactly the how these are supposed to fit together <laughs> I'm not not quite getting it. Yeah, their instructions. I've I've been putting together some Age of Sigmar and Warcry models lately, and and sometimes the angles that they show the model pieces at in the instructions are less than helpful. Yeah. Or and if like are the instructions in there at least full color? Because like sometimes they'll show like a little highlight area. It's like oh yeah, this is where the glue goes, but it like might be three pixels tall depending on what angle they have it at. So. It, it, yeah, it. It's, I mean, it's that grayscale where it's yellow, that's where the glue goes, and then blue indicates, like, this is the new piece that you just put on. Right. And, like, I can get one of the pieces to fit on, it's just I'm not quite sure how the other piece fits on, so. This one's just been a challenge. Yeah. I'll say. And... You still have, like, the regular Lictor and Deathly Perdigo, which I was surprised yeah. that these are not, like, a multi... And I guess the models are different enough, especially than your Lictor, but I was surprised to see that they are their own standalone kits and not, like, a multi-option multi, multi uh, option kit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not terribly surprised. Like, as soon as I saw, like, how different Deathleaper looked from... It, like with like the the back cape thing that he has, like yeah, I I think it's it kind of makes sense, and and the fact that it doesn't really like you put together the models and there's not really options on the models, like lictors are just lictors. There's no like loadout that they get, so it makes sense for them to just have one little sprue and then be done. Right. And yeah, they, they also sent us the, the Gene Stealers and the Hormigaunts, uh, and obviously haven't had a chance to, to dig into all of them yet, but uh, yeah. but overall, like, how are you liking the, aesthet- like, the aesthetic of the newer kits, too, and the newer designs? They are a lot more dynamic. Um, I, I think the, 
aesthetic is holding, you know, fairly consistently. Um, there's a lot more, a lot of the newer, you know, Tyranids are leaning towards like a lot more psychic stuff like the zoanthropes and such. So it's, it's interesting to, to see like more of the big brainy bugs than, than just the zoanthropes. So it, like it, it gives you enough models, I think now to where you can build like a, a psychic themed Tyranid army that, that looks, you know, big brain bug without just spamming zoanthropes. Right. No, that's, and that's cool. Like having, having more options. And of course there were balance issues in the last edition with like Maliceptors being too good and everything, but, uh, having, having the options, I think that's been toned down and having the options to, yeah, just go all in on, on a, a brain bug army complete with like, big tall monsters and sneaky units and little little griblies and everything is is actually yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I I will say like I was kind of surprised by like the the cape thing that Deathleeper has. I think it's a little weird and I wasn't expecting it, but like as, the more that I think about it, like I mean, what do Space Marines use for stealth? Camo cloaks. So why wouldn't a, a you know, biologically adapting creature, like, develop some sort of, like, cloak-like thing to assist it with stealth? I All I can think of is... is <laughs> I just imagine... Like Death Leaper eating some uh, Scout Sergeant's brain, and what it came away with was, yes, I've mind capes. Capes is good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the solution to our problem. Cape. Yep. yep. Uh, I st- I still like the the stealth unit in um, Mercs. The one the, that was just the, clear acrylic. The clear plastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they do, st- uh, besides, like, I've seen people do the clear acrylic, like, stealth suits, but uh, GW did actually release clear acrylic models for Middle Earth for the ring bearers. So, like, yeah. anybody who could they wear did, the ring, yeah. they, they would have, have a clear acrylic version to swap in when they put the ring on so you could keep track of them, which is silly, but also cool. Uh, as for me, I have, I've actually not done, I think the closest thing I did to 40k stuff those last couple weeks was, uh, I finished, I finally finished painting my Slobbity Bile Piper for Nurgle Demons. Uh, now, whether I plan on using it in 40k or not remains to be seen, although I, I have played Nurgle Demons in 40k since the new edition dropped, so I, at least I'll have them available to use, but, uh, I have been mostly on a, like Warcry and Kill Team kick lately, getting everything ready for for trying those out because I'm still kind of I'm still very much in the I don't want to touch this game yet until they fix the balance or at least until I see the first balance fix, which mm-hmm. eh, not not the best place to be mentally. But I've also been like slightly poking at other games and I look which the right now the only other real games to look at that 
aren't also Games Workshop properties because I've been looking like I've got Age of Sigmar. I've actually got some stuff from Middle Earth, but I've been looking at like Star Wars Legion and Marvel Crisis Protocol. And while they look really interesting, although it's like there's some things about Legion that just looks like it's not even though I love Star Wars, it wouldn't quite click for me. I can't get past the fact that every game has its own unique dice that you can't just map onto a uh, like a numeric value very easily. And that they're all different dice. None of their games share any of the same dice. And that just... It's like they have their own dice. They have their own measuring tools. You can't just use tape measures. That That's not allowed. The, the rules don't work with that. So it's just like it seems unnecessarily complex. And it's the physical item attempt to lock you in the way that GW would lock, try to lock you into the app with like a, a Warhammer Plus subscription. It's like, oh, yeah, you have to use our special measuring sticks and our special dice or else you can't play the game. And we're the only it ones. It sounds like a fantasy you. flight thing to me. It is a fantasy flight thing to me because that's that's I mean it's Asmodee and Atomic Mass Games now, but it was it, you know it's the company's formerly known as Fantasy Flight, and I don't like that about Fantasy Flight. Like it was fine, it didn't bother me too much for X Wing, but then they started coming out with more and more games. It's like oh no, every one of these has has their own dice. The role playing games have their own dice. The the like. There's no overlap in dice between Armada and X-Wing, and there's no overlap between that and it was Imperial Assault, and then Star Wars Legion, and now Shatterpoint's out, and that's one where it's like also has its own dice system, and it's like I it I understand the idea of using dice not just as a random number generator, but a random result generator and being able to map different results for different things based on what the units can do it's like i get that but man it just seems like numbers with extra steps you know there is a there is a game that came out recently that a skirmish game that recently that doesn't have uh, special dice that it maps to use so just saying Cyberpunk Combat Zone is pretty freaking cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking at that. I just I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, and you can only get it directly from them at this point. I don't think any stores are carrying it yet. Uh, some of the stores here in Phoenix are. Okay, none of the uh, like yeah. So some so some stores can. I don't know if any local ones do, but I know it. I know it's in, in distribution to some degree. I mean, it like Monster Fight Club looks like they put out. Uh, neat stuff overall and i like i do like like i like the looks of the models uh and the fact that it plays on a kill team size board is kind of cool mm-hmm. oh it does have its own proprietary measure thing but uh it's one inch it's one inch three inch six, uh 12 inches i think or 10 inches or something like that like it has its own measuring tool but it maps to like measurements <laughs> Right, and it's just it's a one stick where it's like yeah the like for Star Wars and Marvel it's like well here's stick one and here's stick two and here's stick three and they're they're not necessarily one inch two inch three inch and like the the Legion one's like well this is stick two and it has a pivot in the center so you can know how far you can turn and it's like oh I already don't like the fact that they that Games Workshop tried to get cute with. Uh, Kill team, like, yeah, we're going to replace everything with colored logo, you know, colored symbols. And it's like, yeah, but they mapped one inch, two inch, three inch, six inch. It's like, you're not fooling anyone. 
but we can make movement three white circles. Like, but why are you like this? Well, so, so at, related to that, like when we were at the KC Open, uh, Mike, Mike Brandt was talking about that specific design choice because somebody asked him, like, why, why did you do it this way? And again, I don't know if this is necessarily, if this makes sense or not, but I, I at least thought it was interesting to hear the logic. Basically, he was showing, you know, he was working on the new version of Kill Team and like coming up with the design, uh, design aesthetics for it, showed it to a friend who doesn't play war games. And the very first thing that like his friend said is like, well, wait a minute, why do I have to get a tape measure? Why do I have to go to the hardware store and buy a tape measure to play this game? Why do I have to buy this other thing unrelated? Why, why is this not included? So that's the reason why they decided to put like the measuring devices in the game and like put the little like some, you know, thing because they're like, well, no, if we're going to make a skirmish game in a box, let's put everything in the box. Why they decided to use symbols instead of numbers. Uh, that's a whole other conversation, but I do at least appreciate that. They're like, well, no, we're going to put all of the tools you need to play the game in the box. Huh. So, so that's just kind of a, like a newer, like can kind of contemporary design thing where that's just taken as given that you, if you buy a skirmish game, you don't need I, to buy anything else. I think, I think so. I think that's really where more where the design thing is. And like fantasy flight has their own weird proprietary things they do and they've always done. But I think that's the design aesthetic is like, well, we're using these dice, but they'll come in the set. So you buy the starter box, you get the dice you need for this game. You get the tools you need for this game. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily like it either, because again, it's like most people have tape measures, you know, and most people, you know, but again, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to make the games more accessible to people who don't normally play war games, I can understand that though. Like not everybody has like a pile of tape measures, you know, in their bag. So yeah, fair. And I will say, like, you know, even, like, Warcry and Kill Team, they come with, like, the acrylic, like, the clear acrylic rulers, which, I mean, we saw those in some of their, uh, like, board games, like, exe- like Execution Force, or I think that was the name of it. Like, it had the same kind of thing. So, it's like, I, I, I get it. I just, like, I think for me, it's like, I for, like, measuring tools, I can understand. But again, it's like, I don't understand why you have to come up with your own cutesy uh like symbol based or non-standard measurement units they because it just feel and like there may be a reasoning behind it but it feels very just it feels un like an unnecessary complication I, I would agree with that but i also like like i said i i can understand that but also trying to target those games because you know the idea is like a game like kill team or war cry or you know, cyberpunk combat zone would be geared towards people who don't necessarily play war games because they're smaller, they're faster to play. So I get it. Like you, you put things in there to make, to make it easier for them to get started and kind of, you know, abstract it out. I I don't know that I necessarily like it, but I can at least understand the logic. Right now, something like star Wars Legion though, that's not a skirmish game. That is like a full blown war game. Mm -hmm. And again, everything is in weird like we made yeah, up our own like, units and we made up like our I said, own dice. Fantasy Flight has their own issues with their stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean and and also just as an aside, like every uh it seems like every brand new game when it first comes out has those weird issues. Try looking through the Rogue Trader rulebook and explain to me vehicle turn radius. 
Oh God! <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. So. Second edition 40k. Also, like all the little cardboard templates for everything mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Okay. So. I, I think uh, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll clean itself up eventually. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and we used to have like scattered ice and jammed ice and like sustained fire dice. So yeah, it's not that Games Workshop is necessarily Im- you are not immune from <laughs> dice propaganda, but. Yeah, but then then we also get the wonderful things like the foot of Gork template. That is mm. true. We, you lose something when you don't have. You can't go a little silly. True. So, <laughs> and I yeah, it's like. But anyway, it's like I've I've been kind of like poking at at non forty k stuff because it's like I have an itch to play, but I just I'm still mentally in the state of but not this. Not not this yet. Fix this first, and then and then we'll talk. But right now, I want to look at something else. But so right now, my something else is primarily going to be Warcry. But because uh, that one, I can play. See, I too can play at the Casino of Corn because that's how that mm-hmm. game works. So, <laughs> uh, but no, we are not here to talk about Warcry or another non GW games. So we are here to talk about uh, a. Uh, 40k codex and we will talk about that in a bit but first uh, as always this show is supported on patreon and supported especially by you the patrons and uh, thanks to everyone who who helps support the show uh, this show stays income neutral we are able to uh, pay for our hosting and our recording services and we really do appreciate everything you do so if you want to help support the show you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies uh, it's basically it's an online tip jar we don't lock any of our content behind a page wall so if you just want to help support the show and and help keep us going and doing what we do um even if it's just a dollar a month to help out if enough people put in a dollar it really does help out so again that's patreon.com slash preferred enemies uh anyway uh, we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification and when we come back we'll talk about our main topic which is the new tyranid codex for 10th edition see you in a bit Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, 
And when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at the brand new Codex Tyranids for 10th edition, our first Codex of the new edition. Uh, This one was graciously provided to us by Games Workshop in exchange for a fair and honest review. And uh, this is, yeah, our first look at what a 10th edition Codex is going to look like. Uh, Now, if you are unaware, if you are a new player, if you are unaware of what the Tyranids are, the Tyranids are the great devourer, the consumer from beyond the galaxy. They are an extragalactic threat, purely biological in nature, all uh, driven by one single mind, one single purpose to basically devour all biomass it encounters and continue to grow and expand. Uh, So... uh, I mean, take that for what you will as far as uh, metaphors in any way, shape, or form. And they found out that dwarfs aren't tasty. (laughs) Well, that one stronghold was, but not all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, yes, Tyranids, uh, they, they do cover the... The first appearance of the Tyranids, in, like there's about a 30-page section of fluff in this book that covers, yeah, the first contact with the Tyranid race, and uh, at least for humanity, um, it's also it looks like El- the Eldar kind of discovered them at the same time, so that's when they entered the galaxy for the first time, and we, you know, covers. You know, how they dealt with the planet of Tyran, which is where we get the name Tyranids. We we do not know if the Tyranids have names for themselves. We don't know if they really have names. They have appellations that have been applied to them. But uh, the, the mind of the Tyranid is inscrutable and is singular. There seems to be one hive mind, although there are multiple hive fleets identified by the Imperium with... Uh, variations in coloration and style of combat. Each one is basically, again, driven to uh, constantly like seek out planets that are teeming with life and strip that life down, melt it down into goo, re-pump uh, it back up to their bio-fleets to create more Tyranids and then carry on. And in fact, all the biomass that, you know, the Tyranids use to uh, create more Nids that they send to the planet of the surface to attack, or to the surface of the planet to attack, um, just gets recycled. They just kill it all. You know, when it all dies, they just re-consume it and pump it back in. So they they waste nothing. Yeah, just jump into that big digestion pools and get sucked up by big straws up to the hive ships. Yep. And it also covers such things as the shadow and the warp. The fact that the 
The Tyranids are not psych. I mean, they are they are psychic. They function psychically, but not in any sense that humanity is aware of. And their very presence clouds the warp, and so it does everything from silencing uh, psychic communication to just being unsettling to organic minds. It is. Uh, which is reflected in in one of the rules from that we are familiar with from their index, which is the shadow and the warp that allows them to basically force everything to take a battle shock test. And uh, yeah, some describe the phenomenon as a hum as a numbing blanket of static that fills their thoughts and makes it hard to even think or speak, or the the chittering and squealing of a billion nameless horrors, the sc- endless scraping of talons across your mind. And if it, it's that bad for like normal humans, imagine how bad it is for psych- more psychically aware races or psychically aware members of the human race. So it's just generally unpleasant to be around a a Tyranid invasion. I did like that in the fluff section, we do get a bit more discussion on the Tyranid bioships themselves. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that seemed... I don't remember that from past versions. I don't have my physical copy here, but it seemed like there was more detail. It, I, I I did glance over that, um, and it does seem like, like maybe this is some stuff that uh, has just kind of been collected and wasn't always in every version but yeah this this does seem like a more detailed with some some new stuff in it mm-hmm. and it you know kind of hints to like yeah they, we've tried sending terminators in to to board a tyranid vessel the way that we would board any other vessel in uh it bad in there it's not <laughs> it is actively unpleasant because it's a it's a living body and it will send its immune system to try to take you out so uh uh, and also discussing like the little bitty ships called the narvals that are there to kind of guide the tyranid fleets and uh just the fact that they adjust the actual forces at play in a star system like they affect gravity and and figure out how to like kind of use that to to f- flow the fleet around actually causes earthquakes on planets as gravity shifts and pulls and start it's just like it's really bad to be somewhere where a tyranid fleet is invading yeah we get a coverage of the four separate tyrannic wars uh storyline wise we are currently in the midst of the fourth tyrannic war that is what's kind of started off with the leviathan box set as the hive fleet uh the the tendril of of the hive known as leviathan which was thought to have been effectively stopped at ball by the uh, blood angels and all their successor chapters uh has popped back up in several places and in fact uh Whereas most of the Tyranid threat had been coming directly like at the galactic plane, um, uh, Leviathan tends to pop up from underneath the galactic plane in multiple places and seems to be making a beeline towards Terra, which also not a great thing to have happening. There's sidebars that cover several of the different hive fleets and what they've been up to and interactions with uh, different factions. Like there's one discussing uh, hive fleet Gorgon against the uh, Tau and Eldari. Orcs and world eaters facing off against uh, hive fleet Kraken. 
uh, Blood Angels against uh, High Fleet uh, Leviathan. Also, High Fleet Leviathan popping up at the Maelstrom against Huron Blackheart. I mean, it's just every like every faction in in the galaxy has issues with the Tyranids, and even in past fluff, I don't know if it's mentioned in this book exactly but uh it's even suggested that the silent king of the necrons returned to the galaxy because he had discovered like oh yeah there's something even worse coming and we we need to be ready to fight against it so uh so yes this is a galaxy spanning threat and possibly a galaxy ending threat the uh, also another section i really kind of like seeing was Spelling out what all the different Tyranid bioweapons look like and what they do and what they mean. Mm-hmm. That, that is a cool section. Yeah. It, because, and there's a lot of weapons that we're just now getting like actual plastic parts for on a lot of kits, like, like spine fists. We actually get, you know, there are, we don't have, I don't think there's a new Termagant box yet, or is it already out? Is the new Termagant box out? Um, I don't think it's out yet. That was one we did not get for preview. Um, no, there, there's the the push fit that we're in the Leviathan, but there is there is stuff that's in this codex that isn't in that in those sprues. So. Right, but they have previewed that like the when they do a new Termagant box, it will have them. Yes. Um, spine fists existed before in the old kit. Um, they're not in the, the push fits in the Leviathan okay. box set, but, uh, and devourers were the things that we didn't have were the, the spike rifles. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. And the, the, what was the, the web thing? Oh yeah. Um, the, yeah. The... And, uh, and then there's like a, uh, like a one, one off heavy weapon that is, that is all, that is completely brand new. Because we'd had stats before for the the spike rifles and the the it's like <laughs> the strangle web the, the yes the strangle web those have had rules before but they had never had actual like termagant like pieces bits right the shard launcher that's the new one yes the shard launcher is the new one. And then we, unfortunately, like the spike rifle and the shard launcher aren't actually listed <laughs> in this list of weapons. We don't get those, but, but yeah. it is good to see like the, the ones that are seen most often kind of defined for, you know, people to be aware of. I always like it when they kind of show off like what does different war gear look like so that it, you know, you can actually, you know, kind of do a WYSIWYG on the table. We do get a section of uh, photography. I was disappointed that we didn't get that many different color schemes shown. We get a lot of Leviathan for lot, yeah, obvious a reasons. Leviathan. Um, a little bit of Kraken. And I think there's like a little bit of Behemoth. And that's pretty much it. We don't get like the old color plates, like showing different color schemes for different hives and, and kind of like, or here's how, like, or here's how you could, you know, examples of di- completely different coloration. Yeah, I I kind of get the feeling that they're that with this they're they're moving away from 
necessarily having to have like your color scheme match like your detachment like like the sub factions mm-hmm. like the that whole having to match your sub faction to the color of that you've painted your army i feel like is something that they're moving away from yeah yeah, definitely. We we don't see that. And, you know, spoilers. We don't see that reflected in the rules in any way. But I I do miss having like a few more examples for people so that they can kind of see like there's not one way yeah. to paint them. Like you can go right. you can go kind of nuts with it, uh, especially with nids. I did find it interesting that they did include a like kind of little how to paint like section. They did. Yeah, they did. Which I is did. Neat. Pr- yeah. Um, and that's actually something we've seen in uh, the like the last couple of editions of like Age of Sigmar Battle Tomes is they've had like this is how to paint certain effects. Now in this one, it's tied specifically to the combat patrol, but the techniques are going to carry over to anything you do, so it's fine. And then speaking of combat patrol, we actually the book does include the full combat patrol rules and like kind of pointing out like okay here's this model here's what it's equipped with here's kind of its role uh, you know spelling all of that out uh, yeah complete with a uh, a painting guide for and like including everything from basing here's how to paint the skin here's how to paint the tongues the carapace the weapons wings just like that's really cool and it's just it's just a little two page spread. Uh, it points out, like, here's the colors you're going to want to use to do this particular look. So, yeah, having that, at, you know, in the codex is really nice. Um, and the combat patrol, uh, like, the detachment rules, the enhancements, secondary objectives, stratagems, and the con- combat patrol data sheets, those are all here, just as they are online. And, in fact, uh, this seems... a. a I would say it's a little bit of an unnecessary duplication because it does have all the stuff that you can download for free online. But if you're going to go ahead and buy the codex, it is nice to have it all in one book rather than have to juggle several different files. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, And I, I did not spot any changes between this and the downloadable Combat Patrol. I I did not go over the the combat patrol sheets, but they they just at at glance they they looked the same. Yeah, yeah, and I I compared like the the like the enhancements, secondary objectives, and strats. They all looked to be the same. So this is going to be consistent with whatever you find online for combat patrol. So you'll have it like right smack dab in the middle of the book. Uh, we do not have a physical copy of the book. Uh, we were provided with a PDF, but I would not be surprised if this is like right where, like if you open the book right in the middle, because I like, think page wise, it looks like it's right about there. Uh, and then we get into the non-combat patrol army rules. And uh, the army rules that we have seen before are, you know, in the index, are unchanged. Synapse is still a six-inch bubble of you test Battleshock on 3d6 instead of 2d6. And Shadow in the Warp, if your army's faction is Tyranids, once per battle in either player's command phase, uh, if a un- you have a unit with Shadow in the Warp, you can force every enemy unit to take a battle shock test. Uh, those are unchanged. 
And we get into our six detachments. And whereas in the past, in ninth edition and eighth edition as well, we would have expected, well, these are going to be where our different hive fleets are defined. Uh, no, we there's no concept of subfaction here at all. In, in, in any sort of way. Uh, in, instead, you get six detachments that describe um, army playstyles, effectively. And uh, the very first one in the book, Invasion Fleet, is the one that is in the index. It is completely unchanged. It, if you are familiar with the Invasion Fleet, it, it the one in the codex is exactly the same as the one in the index. Yeah, there there is some... There- there's a few things here and there that are slightly reworded, but it doesn't change anything. Right. It's functionally there, identical. Yeah. It's functionally identical. Yeah. So um, I don't think we need to really cover this in depth. Uh, if anyone has been playing Tyranids or has been interested in Tyranids, the invasion fleet is available. The big thing is you, at the beginning of the round, you pick, or at the beginning of the first battle round, you pick a adaptation that either gives sustained hits one against infantry and swarms, lethal hits against monsters or vehicles, or precision against characters. Um, And then uh, strats to give you feel no pain if you were attacked, or critically hit on fives in the the fight phase. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, especially (laughs) with your adaptations. Yep. Uh, Having a, a death, you know, fighting again on a four, or... Uh, getting an extra three inches of consolidation as long as it gets you an engagement range or using a second hyper adaptation for one of your units in uh, synapse range or two units that are two units that are in synapse range or one that isn't. And then endless swarm is the one everybody's familiar with just returning models to endless multitude units, which is all your little griblies like termagants, hormagants, neurogants. So that is the one everyone is familiar with. Now let's get into the new ones. First up, the Crusher Stampede. And I imagine anybody who played against Nids in 9th edition has a little bit of PTSD the t- moment that name came up. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, this is not that Crusher Stampede. This is, this is not that. No. Uh, but it is, this is the, I want to do an, a list that is focused around big monsters and making big monsters cool. And uh, I don't know necessarily how well it pulls that off, uh, although everything in here is focused on Tyranid Monster. Like, everything keys off the Tyranid Monster keyword. Yeah, it it, it does... Uh, I do like the, just kind of the improved ability mm-hmm. for, for hitting with monsters, because a lot of times monsters don't always have the, the best two-hit rolls, but it, it's a it's a lot of like conditional plus ones here and there, and not a lot of re rolls, which kind of disappoints me. Like it, maybe it's a little unfair comparison, but just like after playing against Space Marines, <laughs> like like you pick up a handful of dice and you'd like just dump them all in and then it's like oh and then i pick up all these and re-roll them and it's like uh yeah you don't Space quite Green and eldar are really in good spots for re-rolls yeah, yeah. in an yeah. addition which we weren't supposed to have a lot of re-rolls exactly <laughs> uh, so instead what uh, crusher stampede gets in this case instead of their hyper adaptations that we had for the invasion fleet we get enraged behemoths 
Any Sisters player will be familiar with that. Uh, each time a Tyranid's monster model from your army makes an attack, add one to the hit roll if the model's unit is below starting strength. Add one to the wound roll if it's below half strength. So your monsters get tougher or get meaner the more they get hurt. Hulk smash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, is thematic. I, I, I it, like it. Yeah, it does fit. It does fit. It this again, this is not nearly the uh the the killer build that it was in pre in the previous edition. Uh you, you do get a number of enhancements. The uh there's an enhancement that adds three to a monster's objective control, which that could be huge. That could be very, very strong. Enraged reserves, uh this lets you if a lets you fight again on a three up. Uh null nodules, uh when you make uh Gives you five up feel no pain once per battle against a psychic attack. That one I think is probably the weakest because there's not a lot of psychic attacks out there that are so powerful as to warrant using one of your three enhancements on it. Uh, and then monstrous nemesis. This one I think is very solid. Uh, add one to the wound roll against monsters and vehicles. That one's very solid and kind of helps with you don't necessarily have to have that strength 12 attack to crack a vehicle because if you're plus one to wound, that strength 10 will do just fine or that strength eight will do just fine. And and again, you get six strats and we are seeing there's no overlap. uh, There's no like layering of stuff like so far. I, I will say what we see with the detachments in here is consistent with everything they've stated about their philosophy on detachments. Like, it is not like you take the Crusher Stampede and then you, like, slide in a little bit over it. So first book so far looks good. So your strats, you get Corrosive Viscera for a CP, lets you just auto-explode. When you, like, if if a monster has danger or has Deadly Demise, which I think they pretty much all do, uh, you don't roll a die to see if it goes off. You just auto-explode auto on on death rampaging monstrosities uh re-roll the hit rolls when uh you are fighting yeah that's gonna be pretty good (laughs) uh savage roar uh this is in the fight phase just after an enemy unit has selected its target so after an enemy unit attacks you uh you can make them make a battle shock test and when they, whether they fail the test or not, they are minus one to hit you. If they do fail the test, they are minus one to wound you. Yeah, that's I, that's a use of battle shock I actually like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way Tyranids have some ways to like take advantage of battle shock uh, in some of these new roles, I, I actually like. We've had discussion before of how Battleshock seems underwhelming, but, like, when you start to add in, like, these rules that, like, take advantage of that, like, I think that's where it can start to get interesting and and really be a, a powerful tool that certain armies can take advantage of. Uh, yeah, agreed. I agreed. I want to see more more armies lean into it and have like like I like this like the Savage Roar where it's like yeah there's an a there's a an immediate effect whether they fail the test or not and then if they fail the test you get that extra little bit of spice with it and I like I like that I like how right. that's handled here. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I could see, I could see, like, definitely, like, Dark Eldar and, like, Night Lords having, like, similar stuff. Yeah, and I think I, I want to see more of that when we start seeing codexes, you know, rolling out. So yeah. may, maybe, like, it may be a thing where Battleshock isn't as used, like, it doesn't quite have the utility at right now but maybe in a year or two when we have like more armies and that with more codexes that are actually fully fleshed out we'll start seeing more options to use that so yeah i'm, I'm hopeful for that uh moving forward we've got untrammeled ferocity which basically lets your uh your tiered monster move through enemy models as though they were friendly and just automatically pass desperate escape tests so no you cannot stop you cannot pin the monster down it will keep moving and doing what it wants to do uh swarm guided salvos uh lets you ignore cover when shooting and ignore any or all modifiers to your ballistic skill so it means your your nid monster will hit as as well as it wants to. Nobody will apply any penalties to it. And in fact, there's only one. Uh, there's only like a couple of monsters in here that even have like a penalty when they're damaged a certain amount. So like you could ignore that as well. And then finally, massive impact effectively gives you tank shock with a uh, tier nid monster. So that that'll be a good one and like all of these cost 1 CP. So it's like Crusher Stampede if you're going for a Nidzilla build, I think this is it's not a bad one to use. I don't think it's going to like set anything on fire the way the old one did, but that's good. I don't I right. don't want that. Yeah. No, yeah, I can I can definitely see this being used. Like when I first started reading it, I was very underwhelmed with it, but then like you know, I started getting into like the stratagems, and like the stratagems all seem very solid and mm-hmm. and useful. Yeah. Now moving on to the next attachment. Uh, if you don't like big monsters and you want to use little griblies instead, we have the unending swarm. This one is built entirely around endless multitude units or units that build up and. Endless multitude units, because like in the case of enhancements, none of the endless multitude units can take enhancements. They're not characters, but uh, for so for unending swarm, uh, your our world eaters players will be familiar with this one. All your endless multiple multitude units can make surge moves when they get when they lose models after being shot at. So you basically you get a d6 inch move has to be towards the closest enemy unit, but it can put you in engagement range. And a Battleshock unit cannot uh, make a Surge move. So this one definitely wants you playing, uh, I would say, Hormigaunts. It wants you getting them up there faster. Uh, Your enhancements, uh, you have a a 2-inch bonus to move, which can help a, uh, maybe help a Synapse creature keep up with a, uh, a faster Swarm of Griblies. Naturalized Camouflage... At the start of the first battle, select up to three friendly endless multitude units within nine inches of the bearer. Until the end of the battle round, each time a ranged attack targets one of those units, they have the benefit of cover. So for one turn, these units are, you know, they get cover against attacks. It goes away after the first turn, so it's not like for the whole game. Uh, That one, I can see, like, I can see it being used, or you can just try to hide your stuff behind terrain first turn. Yeah. I mean, I think that it it probably goes for, you know, you put this the the big group out front and a shorter distance to get across the board. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair. So, yeah. 
Uh, and then uh, piercing talons, uh, your AP goes up by one on critical wounds, which that one's actually... That's pretty solid for just kind of overall, like the Tyranid that can that can take enhancements, like we'll definitely be able to make use of that, I'm sure. Yeah. And then uh, Adrenalized Onslaught gives you an extra three inches of movement on pile-in and consolidation. Also just very solid. Yeah. Uh, and then getting into these strats, uh, again, these are all going to key off of endless multitude units. Um, so synaptic goading, uh, you uh, can reroll your surge move, and it lets you uh, move towards an objective marker rather than the nearest enemy unit. Yeah, that one's nice to, yeah. to, for the flexibility of that moving towards an objective. Right. Unending Waves. This one's 2 CP, and it damn well should be. Uh, and after an endless multitude unit from your army has been destroyed, uh, you can just bring it back. <laughs> you just add no. it right back. <laughs> yeah, at starting no. strength. Yep. No. <laughs> I mean, it's hey, on if theme. <laughs> if the guard can do it, so can they. Uh, and it does not restore any attached characters, but just being able to bring back a... Uh, like oh yeah this is my mob of like tw- like i'm assuming termagants can still go up to like 20 and 30 uh they can go up know. to 20 they can yeah. go up to 20 now yeah being able to bring back a unit of 20 like hormigons or termagants like that's huge <laughs> teaming masses this one basically uh if somebody targets an endless multitude unit with an attack uh they're minus one to be hit Swarming masses uh, gives your uh, your weapons on an endless multitude unit sustained hits one, and if the unit has fifteen or more models, uh, they crit on fives. That's pretty nice. Uh, bounding advance, you auto advance six inches. You just don't you don't roll, and then uh, preservation imperative. This one I think is really cool. Also, Dennis, you will hate it. Uh, because it makes them live longer. Uh, you select an endless multi-unit that's been shot at. Uh, they count as having less than five models for blast. They ignore the blast bonus entirely. I, I mean, being on the receiving end of blast in a lot of games, I think that's awesome for them to have, especially if you're running hordes. Yeah, which this is like this is the the horde build right here. So, yeah, being able to just ignore that entirely is actually pretty solid. Like this one, it, I, it'll be interesting to see how this goes because it's like they're kind of playing the uh, with like unending waves and all the models. They're kind of going the gene stealer cult route of just I'm just going to flood the board with models and con- and control everything. But I don't know if they've got all the tools to do what gene stealer cults does. But it's still an interesting build and it's an interesting take on flooding the board with tiny guys. Next up, this one is interesting. Uh, Assimilation Swarm, we're keying off of a new keyword that has been added to some existing models in this codex. So the Assimilation Swarm is built around the Harvester keyword. Now, if you don't know what a Harvester is, well, that's because you don't have the codex and you haven't. And it's not in the indexes like these keywords are new to the codex. Uh, so there's this one, and the next uh, detachment we'll look at is this, is similar. 
Harvester keyword is only on four units, though. And I was it's and when we talk about the next one, you'll see why this seems like such a small number. But pyrovores, the horror specs, the psychophage, and the ripper swarm, which are traditionally in the storyline the units that just go around consuming everything that's been left behind. So these are your harvester units. Uh, and what they do is kind of interesting. This is like a support build. Uh, in your command phase, each harvester unit from your army that's within range of an objective marker you control can regenerate a friendly Tyranids unit within six inches of it. A unit can only be regenerated once per phase. Each time a unit regenerates, do one of the following. Uh, a model in that unit regains up to D3 lost wounds, or one destroyed infantry model is returned to that unit with full moon wounds remaining. If it's an endless multitude unit, they get three models back instead. So this is the army is going to be about having particular units on objectives and then restoring other units' strength back up. Yes. Which has some moving parts in it, but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it... The way this is worded, it, it does not exclude the, the Harvester unit from regenerating themselves. Right, because they are a friendly unit within six inches of themselves. <laughs> yes. They'll always at the least be able to, you know, as long as you control that objective marker, they can regenerate themselves. If there's right. something nearby that's better off for them to, to regenerate, then all the better. Uh, and then their enhancements uh, go along, you know, again, again, a lot of these are not going to be on the harvesters themselves, but it's going to be about interacting with the harvesters. Uh, so there's one regenerating monstrosity, tiered models only excluding monster models, which makes me think this would only be on things like broodlords, tiered uh, prime, like the winged Tyranid Prime, etc. This bears the bears unit can be regenerated up to twice per phase instead of once, so it can get back two d three wounds. Uh, uh, so yeah, if you don't just kill it and it can get near a harvester, it's just gonna keep regenerating. Um, instinctive defense, Tyranid model only. When the bearer is within six inches of one or more friendly harvester units, you can use the heroic intervention stratagem for zero CP. And while it's within six inches of one or more friendly harvester units, uh, models in the bear's unit have fights first. Yeah, that, uh, that's pretty. That's actually pretty solid. That that mm -hmm. gives you the ability to like protect those important harvester units. Right, and that one is not limited to no monsters. So like that one on like a hive tyrant could be terrifying. Yep. yep. Uh, biophagic flow and aura. Uh, when a friendly harvester model is within twelve inches of the bearer. When using that Feed the Swarm ability, which is the name of the regeneration ability, the Harvester model has a 9-inch range for regeneration instead of 6. So, kind of, again, moving parts. you got to be within 12 to make somebody else regenerate within 9. So, this is going to be a game of, like, zone control with this right. army. Yep. Uh, and then parasitic biomorphology, add one to the strength characteristic of melee weapons equipped by the model in the bear's unit. 
in the first time the bear's unit destroys an enemy unit in the fight phase while the bear is within six inches of one or more friendly harvester units until the end of battle add one to the attacks characteristic of melee weapons equipped by models in the bear's unit unless the moon is in the new phase and the month <laughs> ends in y yes <laughs> i mean that one yeah that, that, that one's, one's got a lot of parts <laughs> yeah like all of these are a lot of these are kind of very complex and and very conditional it th- this one seems like it it feels like it's powerful but then you like start getting into all of the caveats this is going to be a very complex like build to try and play yeah uh your strats include by uh, broodguard impulse uh basically if one of your harvesters is destroyed uh all your other tier end models uh, are plus one wound against that enemy unit. So, like, uh, it's a revenge attack. Like, you want it's plus one wound in revenge for losing a harvester. Uh, reclaim biomass uh, after a uh, tier nids unit from your army is destroyed, but before the last model and is removed from play. Uh, if there was a harvester within six inches of it then you can regenerate a Tyranids unit within six inches, which I'm not sure if this means you can regenerate the unit. I don't think you can regenerate the unit that was destroyed. I think it's you regenerate somebody else with the biomass from the destroyed unit. It, I, that's, yeah, that is how I, that's how I read that. Yeah. And I think they just have the before the last model in it is removed from play, just so it's still a legal target because, for a strategy. Because you have to, like, for for targeting purposes, I think. Yeah, exactly. Tyranniformed, uh, in your command phase, uh, you have a harvester that's within an objective range of an objective marker. It makes the objective sticky. So, sticky objective. But you still have to be within objective range to use to, the regeneration. Yeah, to feed the swarm, you still... So this just lets you, like, move up to another objective. Doesn't let you, like, keep regenerating even when you're not on the objective. Um, a Blade of Carapace uh, gives a Harvester unit uh, feel a 5-up feel-no-pain. If it was within range of an objective marker, it gets 4-up feel-no-pain. Uh, any abilities that give a 4-up feel-no-pain are really solid and being on an objective is where you want your harvesters to be. So that's going to be really good. Um, secure biomass lets you ha- give a tiered unit in the fight phase lethal hits. If that happened to be a, har- a harvester unit, uh, they crit on fives and considering like the psychophage and uh, horror specs are a couple of your harvester units. That's going to be really useful for them. Uh, and then finally, Rapacious Hunger, uh, in your fight phase, when a Tyranid unit has destroyed an enemy unit, it immediately regenerates. Uh, if it was a Harvester unit, it just automatically heals three wounds instead of D3. Um, this is, de- yeah, this is definitely going to be the one of the more complex, uh, uh, complex detachments to play. I don't think you'll see this one as much because it is, you are... You are dedicated to using a few particular kinds of units, and a couple of those, like Ripper Swarms, are not terribly great otherwise. Like, I've, if I remember right, Ripper Swarms can't even hold objectives because they're OC0. Yes. So, like, it's 
it's going to be they, a hard but one they, to use. But they do... Uh, Ripper Swarms do have an ability that lets them reduce enemy units' OC around them. So uh-huh. them being around a harvester makes it harder for people to take control from the harvester. Yeah. So, so yeah. So this, again, this is, this is going to be a, a weird area control detachment to play. I think people who are, who can get it working will do neat things with it, but it's definitely not going to be as easy to play as some of the others. Like, like the Crusher Stampede is, like I said, is a Hulk smash. Uh, this is not that. Like, this is going to be much harder to use. Uh, then next up, we have the Vanguard Onslaught. The Vanguard Onslaught uh, keys off of a Vanguard Invader keyword. Uh, this is a much bigger list of units that are going to play with this, and this is going to shape your entire army building because uh, these units include the Winged Hive Tyrant, the Winged Tyranid Alpha, the Neurolictor, the Broodlord, the Parasite of Mortrex, Gargoyles, Gene Stealers, Death Leaper, Harpies, Hive Crones, Lictors, Tyrannocytes, and Von Ryan's Leapers. So basically, if it is flying or Lictor like or Gene Stealer like, it's going to have that keyword. And there are the detachment rule for this is. Tyranid units in your army can uh, fall back in charge. Vanguard invader units can advance in charge as well. So this is going to be the very fast get up in your face and, and eat it army. Also, Death Leaper can be your warlord. That, that is a special rule for this one. Death Leaper loses the hunter organism rule and can, in fact, be your warlord. Uh, is as far as your enhancements, uh, you have one that lets you uh, every time an opponent sets up a reserve unit on the battlefield, uh, you roll a d6 on a two up. That unit has to battle shock. So somebody drops in uh, from deep strike. Guess what? <laughs> they are making a battle shock test. Yep. No matter where you are, like yep. there's there's like no range on this. Which is pretty crazy to me. Right. And it's not limited to a Vanguard Invader model. Any Tyranid model can have this. So it's like this one, like, is I think you're going to see this one a lot for people running this this detachment. Um, you've got the Chameleonic for Vanguard Invaders only. Uh, the bear has stealth and always has cover. It's pretty nice. It fit, fits, you know, what they want to do. Right. Uh, Stalker. Um, at the start of the battle, select an enemy unit. This is for Vanguard Invaders only. Um, every each time the bearer makes an attack that targets the enemy, that enemy unit add one to the hit and wound rolls. So that guy over there, yeah, screw him. We're we're gonna eat him. Uh, and then the Neuro Node Tyranid models only. After both players have deployed their armies, uh, you can. But before and after you've determined who has the first turn, uh, you can redeploy three of your Vanguard Invader units or put them back into reserves, even if your reserves are already full. Which I that one will also be used quite a bit. Um, your strats are uh, surprise assault. Basically, whenever one of your Vanguard units shoots or fights, uh, the enemy unit must take a battle shock test, and you are plus one to hit them and plus one to wound if they fail the battle shock test. So always plus one to hit, plus one to wound if they fail the shock test. Uh, that one's going to be good. Another one that uses battle shock well. 
Um, assassin beasts, uh, your your weapons gain precision, which depending on like what you like, that would be a good one to use on like your winged hive tyrant, uh, because like a lot of your other characters are already going to have precision. Like all your lictor types will have it, but this lets you put it on the ones that don't. Uh, Cedar Broods, uh, this, in your movement phase, you either target one Nids unit in reserves or two Vanguard Invader units in reserves. Uh, you treat the turn as one higher for determining whether they, when and where they come out of uh, reserves. Uh, so you can almost drop pod somebody in with, uh, with Seated Broods. Uh, and then we get a uh, hyper, we get three more that are used at, in your opponent's turn. Uh, hypersensory cilia used in your opponent's movement phase after an enemy unit moves. You get an enemy unit that can move if they're within nine inches of that enemy unit. Uh, two Vanguard invaders or one Tyranid inf- one normal Tyranid infantry. You can't move anybody that's in engagement range, but this lets you basically just get right up on somebody pretty quickly. Uh, unseen lurkers, uh, one Vanguard invader unit that's been targeted by an enemy unit's attacks basically gives them the equivalent of a lone operative. And if they were already lone operative, it makes them a six inch lone operative instead of 12. It does let your opponent choose new targets though. So like they don't lose their attack. They just can't necessarily attack that guy. Uh, and then finally, Invisible Hunter lets you take either one Tyranid Infantry or two Vanguard Invader units and just pull them off the table and put them into reserves, as long as they're more than three inches away from enemy units. So uh, this this one has a lot of like redeployment and reserve shenanigans, a lot of extra movement. Uh, this one could be really nasty in the right hands. Uh, and then finally, our, our last new detachment is the Synaptic Nexus. If you liked the way Nids played in 9th edition, uh, this is the one for you because it's basically that. Uh, it's, it's, basic- it's I, I think it's uh, a more streamlined version of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and toned down a little bit, too. I think it's it's not nearly as ridiculous as the some of the synaptic imperative stuff you could do in 9th. And it's not tied to particular model types, which I think is also better. Yeah. But basically, uh, you get the synaptic imperatives rule. At the start of the battle round, you select one of the synaptic imperatives shown below. Until the end of the battle round, that imperative is in place and active for your army. And while a NIDS unit is within synapse range of your army, it benefits from it. Uh, Each one can only be selected once per battle. And your three options are give everything a five up and vulnerable save, give everything plus one to advance and charge, or give everything plus one to hit. Uh, those are all really solid. Um, it's I, like this is practically chapter tactics, or you know, like or not chapter tactics, uh, tactical doctrines. This is basically tactical doctrines for nids. Um, uh, your strats: uh, power of the hive mind for tier nid psychers, uh, strength and AP of psychic weapons equipped by them improved by one. Uh, very very good. Uh, s- Psychostatic disruption, Tyranid, Synapse model only, uh, enemy units, basically uh, 12-inch bubble of no reserves. And uh, also, in addition, once per battle during the first or second battle round, when your opponent declares that a unit will arrive from the battlefield via strategic reserves, so drop pods or second-turn deep strikers, uh, roll a... uh, (laughs) 
roll a d6 on a four up that unit cannot arrive this turn that can really screw with somebody's plans um synaptic control synapse models only uh subtract one from da- incoming damage and then the dirge heart of Karis, uh synapse model only a nine inch aura of enemy leadership is reduced by one uh, so there's some good ones in there. Like, there's some really solid ones. And then uh, the your strats, Smothering Shadow, any phase after an enemy unit has failed a battle shock test, uh, roll 66 for each three up, they take a mortal wound if there's a synapse unit within 12 inches. Um, synaptic channeling, uh, in your command phase, uh, a particular synapse unit gets a nine-inch bubble of synapse instead of six. Uh, irresistible will um, in your shooting phase or fight phase. This one's a little bit complicated. Uh, you have a synapse unit that you target, and an enemy unit within 24 inches of and visible to that synapse unit. Other units within six inches of that synapse unit reroll hit rolls and wound rolls of one against that particular enemy unit. So basically, the synapse unit spots, and then it, somebody has to be within six inches of the synapse unit to get the bonus. A little clumsy, but it it works. Um, reinforced hive node. Uh, basically, when somebody shoots at one of your synapse units, reduce the AP or shoots or fights one of your synapse units, reduce the AP of the attack by one. That one's okay. It's fine. Yeah, I. I- Nids don't usually have great armor saves anyway, you know, when you're talking about, like, the the big units, right? So, I mean, I can see it being useful on uh, the, uh, you know, on your Hive Tyrant when you get hit by something really big, but... But yeah, for the most part, it, it's it's, like I said, it's fine. It's not, like, one of the cooler ones, but it's fine. It does what it's supposed to. Uh... Imperative Dominance, this basically lets you target a t- another unit or target a Tyranid unit within synaptic range and use a different imperative, even one you've already used. So, like, you want to give somebody else that five up, fi- uh, five up invulnerable two turns in a row. You can do that with this. Uh, and then finally, Override Instincts uh, lets you target a Tyranid unit within synapse range of your army, and that had and basically lets that unit fall back and uh, shoot or charge. So yeah, yeah, it's basically give somebody shoot, you know, fall back and shoot, or fall back and charge if they're within synapse range. Like this one's going to be solid. I think you're going to see you'll probably see this one a lot because it's a very powerful tool set. Like uh, of these, like I think the invasion fleet will still be used because that's the one a lot of people are very familiar with. Yeah, it it still seems to be the most flexible uh, of the of the detachment roles. Um, like I, endless swarm and crusher stampede are very straightforward and like easy to understand and do good things for that kind of build. So I think we'll see those as well a little bit. Agreed. Yeah. Um, har- the the Harvester one, we'll, I don't think we'll see that one very much. And it's 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 hard to pull off consistently. E- right. But, but it has pyrovores. 
I mean, yeah, and pyrovores don't suck. I mean, they're fine. Right. But uh, yeah, it's like this one. It's like it, it's interesting. It's but it's it's going to be the most complex one to use. And the units that are that are key to it aren't the strongest units in the book. So it's going to be a harder one to, to really maximize the use out of. But it'll be a neat one to play for like narrative reasons. I think it'll be a fun like it'll be a fun one to play if you want to if you enjoy like solving puzzles like this and figuring out how to how to work everything together. I think Vanguard Onslaught we're going to see a lot of because a lot of that stuff is some of the better stuff anyway. Like there's a lot of good stuff that benefits from this. And if you like just messing with people's plans and getting up in their faces, this one will be a, a, a solid one. And then, yeah, Synaptic Nexus uh, is is going to be a good one to it's got the same kind of flexibility that the invasion fleet has. Yeah. So I, th- I think we'll see that one a lot as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it it's actually, I don't know, it actually might be more flexible than the Vanguard fleet just because of the, the, the three different abilities mm-hmm. that you can swap between, whereas you pick one for Vanguard fleet at the beginning and then you've got that the whole game. Right, yeah, like when, yeah, once you're locked in, yeah, you've got a strat to use a different one for one turn, but you have that with the 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 synaptic nexus too. So, so yeah, so like I think there's some interesting strats, and I do or interesting detachments, and I it is interesting. None of them are tied to like this is the leviathan one, this is the behemoth one, this is the kraken one. It's like no, nah, they're based on army build rather than like faction is just your color scheme, and that's all that really matters. You know, like, yeah, that's that's really. Uh, so uh, let's talk about we're not going to go through all the data sheets because 99 percent of this is the same as the index. If you if you're familiar with NIDS or you want to take a look and then it's like we're not going to go through everything. But we do have three new units and then a few changes as well, like a few you know small changes we spotted. Uh, so let's talk talk about those new big models, the ones that aren't quite knight-sized but are bigger than armagers, the Norn Emissary and the Norn Assimilator. Uh, they are big monsters, although not so big as to be towering, which I found interesting. Like, I was, I, we, outside of Forge World, there's still no towering NIDS options. Although these guys are no slouches. Both of them have the same uh, stat line, uh, 10 inch movement, 11, in, uh, 11 toughness, two up save, 16 wounds, uh, leadership seven, and OC five. Uh, the there is a little bit of a difference between the two. The Norn emissary has a four up invulnerable save because it's the psychic, it's the big brain bug. The assimilator does not. It does not have any invuln save. Um, yeah, it is, which is a little disappointing. But yeah. Also, uh, they both have uh, Shadow in the Warp. They both have Synapse. Uh, they are Synapse creatures. They have the uh, the Synapse keyword. Neither of them are Harvester or Vanguard, so like they will not key off of those two new detachments. Uh, and they both have the Singular Purpose Rule, which is uh, interesting. Uh, so at the start of the first battle round, you select one of the following. You either select an enemy unit or an objective marker. 
Uh, if it's an enemy unit, uh, then until the end of the battle, each time you make an attack that targets that unit, you can reroll the hit roll and reroll the wound roll. You, this unit has basically permanent oath of moment. You pick something and you are just going to reroll everything against killing that thing. Or if you select an objective, then while you control that objective with this model, this model's in range of the objective, it has five up, feel no pain, and objective control 15. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of nice. Yeah, that one. And again, both of these have that. So like, uh, yeah, so you can use this to either like go out and get an objective or go out and kill that thing that needs to die. Um, and I will say, honestly, of the two of them, the Norn Emissary is going to have the better chance at making that thing die. Uh, it just has seems to have better weaponry. Yeah, it, the for for not having an invulnerable save, the the Norn Assimilator, like I think, is going to have have problems because like its biggest strength is, you know, it's you know, high strength attacks in close combat and the one ranged attack. I mean, it's, it's toxic harpoon, uh, tox injector harpoon. It, it's both it's ranged and melee weapon, but it only has like a 12 inch range. So it's got to get close to stuff. Um, and it can only get that feel no pain if it, uses that part of the the singular purpose and yeah it's a two up save that's nice and all but it doesn't have an invulnerable save so i think it's going to have problems yeah i mean its weaponry is is strong like its melee attacks are stronger like the the toxic tox injector harpoon is uh you know two attacks at 12, 12 inch range kind of hurts it, but two attacks hitting on twos with rerolls if it's against the target that you picked out. Strength 12, AP minus three, D6 plus one. Yeah, it's a last cannon, basically. It's a 12 inch last cannon that gives you plus two to your charge roll if you're targeting a monster or vehicle that you hit with it, which is kind of cool. Um, and then in melee, monstrous scything talons at strength nine, AP minus two, three damage with six attacks, weapon skill two, yeah. And then the tox injector harpoon gives you extra attacks at strength twelve. You know, it's more las cannon attacks. It's four more las cannon attacks in melee. So it's like it will kill vehicles if it gets close to them, but it's got to get close to them. Like it's got to get there. And also the harpoon, if a unit's within engagement range and it tries to fall back, it suffers D6 mortal wounds on a two-up. So, I mean, it's... The assimilator can is definitely killy, but man, the, the emissary, like, it has the same scything talons, so it's got the strength nine attacks. It's got monstrous rending claws for extra attacks, which are more against, like, infantry than vehicles, but still, you know, extra attacks. But its ranged weapons, like, are really that's versatile. Where, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it has the psychic tendril with three different modes. You have the neuroparasite, which is strength eight, the all, like, two, two attacks, hitting on twos, strength eight, AP minus two, D3 damage, precision. Or the blast, the neuroblast, which is 
at 18 inch range, 2d6 attacks, hitting on twos, strength six, AP minus two, one damage, blast. So that's your anti infantry mode. And then the Nero Lance, uh, 18 inches, two attacks, hits on twos, strength 12, AP minus three, d6 damage, melt a two. Uh, so. Like this, being able to stay at 18 inches, I think, makes a big difference with this. Having an invulnerable save makes a huge difference for this. It also has four fill no pain against mortal wounds, which is really good. And uh, most importantly, like, I'm going to primarily ignore points in this book because we know the points are going to change in a couple of weeks anyway and they do not reflect the changes that we've already seen reducing or improve increasing costs on uh things with indirect fire but i will say with the points they have out here right now the norn assimilator the non-psychic no invulnerable save version is 305 points the norn emissary which has an invulnerable save and has ranged attacks that with more range and more modes, 285 points. Yeah. Like I'm kind of baffled at to how this worked out, but like, like I, I do almost feel like the, the Norn assimilator is, is missing a, at least like a five up invulnerable save. Mm hmm. Yeah, it it's yeah, it feels like it it needs just a bit something more. Now, the the Norn assimilator in the right army like in the Synapse Nexus, it is a synapse creature, so it could give itself a 5 up invulnerable two turns in a row if it needed to. So like it there's ways to get it, but it the emissary I think is just the more flexible choice and is probably gonna see more use like if the assimilator had more wounds to make up for not having an invulnerable like that would be that would be something but yeah it just feels yeah i'm like if yeah it does feel like something's missing uh and then our other brand new unit uh is the nero lictor uh, which is basically what if a lictor had uh battle shock abilities because that's like this also what if a lictor had an invulnerable save and you may be saying but the lictor does have an invulnerable save it it lost it it lost its five up invulnerable save so instead we have the neuro lictor which has a four up invulnerable save um otherwise it's very very similar to the lictor it has precision melee attacks um it has feeder tendrils so like it kills uh, enemy unit, like when it kills enemy characters, you get a CP. It's got infiltrators, lone operative stealth. It does like all the kinds of things you would expect a lictor to do. On top of that, it has a 12 inch bubble of pick an enemy unit and they have to make a battle shock test. And uh, if an enemy unit is within 12 inches of the model and is ba- battle shocked, it is minus one to hit and Tyranids units are plus one to wound it. So, again, we're seeing, you know, trying to lean into Battleshock. Now, this does require them to fail the Battleshock test, but the fact that you can force it every turn is useful. Now, it is not a character, so it is not able to take enhancements. So, like, you can't give it any of the, you like, you can't give it the Dirge Heart of Karis, for example, because it's also yeah. not a Synapse creature. 
Which is interesting for what appears to be a brain bug, but isn't really. Right. It does not have psychic attacks or psychic abilities. Basically, its brain gives it a four-up in Vuln. I think that's about it. And it, now it does have Shadow in the Warp, so it is capable of triggering the everybody takes a Battleshock test. But yeah, it's it's kind of a very specialized version of Lictor. Um, I don't necessarily... I don't think it's a bad choice. It's just an interesting choice. It's an alternate choice. So yeah, i i think I think it will it it can be useful in that that uh, Vanguard Invader like certain build. You it it will definitely fit in there and be useful. Agreed. Uh, and uh, as far as other changes that we spotted. Um, Pyrovores gained an extra wound. Uh, Biovores gained an extra wound and their save improved by one. Originally, Pyrovores had a three up and Biovores had a four up save. Now both of them have three up saves. Uh, so I was interesting to see that uh, the Biovores got better. And then, like I said, the points values here are actually lower than they are right now in the digital book, but or in the you know the online files, but. Uh, pay no attention to what's in the book because whatever is online will be considered um, the most correct. And in fact, I did like that on the points page, they give you a QR code that you can scan and will open up the file with the uh, the correct points values. Assuming they don't let that link bit rot away. So there is yeah. that. I imagine it, I, I haven't tried it myself. I imagine... Uh, I- I I did it. It didn't take you directly to the file. It took you to the downloads page. Okay, that's probably the better better way to go. But letting them know right. like the correct points will be here. Having that in the book for easy reference and an easy digital lookup. That's actually pretty smart. I do like that. Um, we mentioned that the Lictor lost uh, its. Um, Five up and vulnerable. Uh, Biovores, besides getting an improved save and an extra wound, um, they also cut down how many spore mines you can make. Yeah. Like, you you can pick one unit per turn to make spore mines. So if you have three units of Biovores, you better be actually shooting with two of them, and then only one of them you know, can make spore mines. Right. Okay. I, I, as someone who's played against that, I like this change. Mm-hmm. Now, they still haven't fixed the issue with spore mines being able to achieve objectives and things like that. Like, that is still an issue. That's but still this does, It's still... But this does slow it down somewhat. It, yeah. I, I kind of was expecting some sort of mindless rule on, on the spore mines, but it didn't show up. Now again, that maybe this book has, you know, was sent to print before any of these balance changes or balance issues have been pointed out. So it's very possible we might see that change in the balance data slate. So you know, yeah. keep your eyes open for, for those changes until Tyranids become top tier. Uh, it's enough of an issue though. Like Tyranids, they're not top tier, but it is still. It's not something that just affects Tyranids. There are other. Are other units that are like OC zero but can achieve objectives needs just have the advantage of being able to make free ones constantly at range <laughs> at range yeah 
but yeah, that and then there's one last change. The Terrenifex has a rule called resilient organism. It was previously just all incoming damage is reduced by one. It is now a once per battle reduce an incoming damage attack to zero, which is also powerful. I think it can be argued back and forth which one is better without necessarily any clear answer. Depending on what you're generally going to shoot at a Tyrant effects, I mean, being able to reduce a big attack from like six to zero rather than six to five is probably stronger, but I can see the argument. The solution is why not both? (laughs) (laughs) I. I mean, I could see both being a little bit of a problem. We shouldn't be encouraging that kind of <laughs> thinking, but... Uh, and then, like, I, I didn't go deeply into reviewing the Crusade rules, and it, they are still kind of... I do like that with the Crusade rules for Nids, they're still doing, like, the different stages of a Tyranid invasion, but I also liked that rather than limiting what kinds of units you are supposed to take based on what stage you're in, it's just units with certain keywords get more, get extra XP for being in that phase, which is much better. Like, because trying to build a battle of order that could fit all three of the stages was very difficult. And now it's just like, oh yeah, you just build your battle of order. And if you happen to be using these units, then they earn more XP because it suits them more. And really, the list between Stage 2 and Stage 3 is pretty much the same. Because it's just Stage 1 is gives you more points for Endless Multitude, Vanguard, Invader, and Warlord, which whereas Stages 2 and 3 are both Biovores, Exocrine, Horospex, Hiveguard, Hive Tyrant, Pyrovores, Tyranifex, Tyrant Guard, and Warlord. And I won't get into like all the, the, the agendas, battle traits. I did like that the battle scars lists, like there's four battle gar- battle scars specific to NIDs and four specific to synapse units. And then entries five and six, just as you generate one from the main crusade rules. So they you can still like randomly access everything from the main list just if you roll on this secondary. So it's kind of an interesting way to do it. But uh, the battle traits are all specific to nids and synapse nids, but the battle scars are not. And then, uh, and like I said, we're not going to get into the the relics and such for that. But because uh, I'm just, I don't have my Tyranid Codex here anymore. My ninth edition one is gone, so I don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, and again, the points values uh, take those with a grain of salt. Those will probably change. Uh, some of them, like I imagine the Norn Assimilator and the Norn em- Emissary will be locked in for right now because there's no frame of reference on, on them balance-wise. But they are currently at, like I said, 305 for the Assimilator, 285 for the Norn Emissary. Yeah, Norn Elixir is 60 points, which is 10 points cheaper than Elixir. And that is pretty much the entirety of the, uh, of the, the book. So, I mean, I think, you know, Nids will still do what Nids do. I overall I like what they're doing with the new detachments. I, I'm interested in this. It's been interesting seeing their detachment philosophy, you know, realized in their first codex. And I kind of I think I like the overall format of it. And I'm curious to see what other book other factions will do with theirs. But so far, I don't dislike it. Yeah, I I I definitely like. 
the your your rules can just be a reflection of like picking the best thing for like your play style and like the models that have the rules that you like mm-hmm. and going with that and not having to be like tied to what color I painted my army. Right. Um, I also like that, like looking at these, like I definitely saw, we saw some like, this is going to be easier to use than the others. This is f- a little bit more flexible, but I didn't, s- we, I don't think of any of them. I saw one where it's like, Oh God, this is so much better than all the others. Like right off the bat. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I definitely think like the, the, the first one and the last one are probably going to be the ones that we'll see the most because they're like the most flexible ones and like still easy to understand. Yeah, agreed. But uh, none of them seem like I th- the most complex one is the assimilation swarm. And that's just because it requires units to be interacting with units in very particular ways. But um, but I don't think it's necessarily bad. We've seen people do just fine with the you know, with units and rules like that in previous editions. So I think it would be fine. And, you know, having combat patrol in the, in the codex is, is kind of interesting so that, you know, the codex just ends up being a one-stop shop for your faction, which is kind of what they've like, you know, they've said like they want to have like the codex should have everything you need for it. And uh, so, um, like overall, I th- I don't dislike this as a model for a new codex. I do wish the fluff section had maybe a, and photography section had maybe a little bit more, but I feel like they cut some out for combat patrol, which is better for newer players. So I, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to to have them make. And the new combat patrol for Tyranids goes up for order on when this is out. Aha, did we do we have our uh our yes, yeah, all that. yep, there we go. Yep, Sunday yep. previews up. So all so, of it goes up for pre order. <laughs> yep. Uh, and this is when yeah, the Noran Emissary, the Death Leaper, Lictor, Neurolictor, Gene Stealers, Termagants. Ah, so the Termagants box also does go up for pre order with this. Uh Hormagants. Biovores, Pyrovores, the Combat Patrol, which is most of the stuff from the Leviathan box. Uh, the data sheet cards, a new set of data sheet cards, which will include all of the detachment rules as their own data sheets. And uh, High Fleet Leviathan purple dice. So yes, every when, when you hear this, everything for NIDS, for the new NIDS book, will be up. And... Uh, yeah, so like overall, I I don't hate it. Like nids are good in the current edition. They're actually right where they should be balance wise. They're at about like that fifty fifty one percent win rate. Maybe a little. You know, I've there's some people have been doing well with them, and I you know nobody loses any tools. I do like the fact that the invasion fleet didn't change. Like it doesn't get pulled away, and it doesn't get immediately outshined by the other detachments. I think that is also good. That's like somebody who's playing with the free index is not necessarily going to be a disadvantage. What we do not know is what happens to the index. When, like, this book drops, does the index go away? Does, like, the the free version go away? Because we all, already we have a couple of units that have changed. Are we going to see those unit rules show up in the index, or are they going to stay out of it? Are the changes to, like, the Lictor and the... Um, 
like the Lictor, the Biovore, the Turan effects, are they going to get reflected in the index? We don't know yet. Like that remains to be seen. Uh, they don't really mention. They do say like this replaces the index with a fully fleshed out collection of books. So yeah, we don't know what happens to rule access for Tyranids once this hits. So that's the one thing I can't review and mention because we don't we don't know. It's it's I would hope kind of like Dennis you want to keep like the app free. I would hope that the unit rules and at least the invasion fleet be free. We know the combat patrol will yeah. be free. So it's just like I I kind of want this to to I want some of this to stay around as free. I understand, like, having the other detachments, fine. Let them be in the codex. But there needs to be a way to play NIDS with just downloading a basic set of rules. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suspect that the the free version, if it doesn't... And if the free version of rules for the faction to be updated and reflect what's in the codex to at least happen like you know optimally it'd be nice to even see like the new detachments be added in to like the free rules and so you technically wouldn't even need to buy the book but having a dead tree version is is a lot of times just easier yeah, it's easier, it's more convenient, it's not dependent on having your you know your phone charged or having a tablet or having an internet connection. It's it is nice to have um yeah, it's like I I would love to see the all the rules still be in the index and like crusade rules, okay, let those be in a like the crusade stuff, let that be in the print version only. That's fine. Let all the fluff stuff be there. But yeah, we'll have to see what happens with the index. Like, yeah, it'd be awesome if the index suddenly got updated with all the rules and just that'd be fantastic. I will see what happens. It depends on how much they want people to to buy books. And but it's like if if you buy the data cards, it's like you're duplicating stuff. So it's like it seems like the the codex becomes kind of a nice to have but not a necessary. So yeah. We'll see, we we don't know. We will see what happens with this. Like, like that's the the only way to get the the fluff section and, and right right now the crusade stuff. So yeah, and and like, I'm I would be fine if that's you know with that as the way they do it. But yeah, but we'll see. But yeah, by the time you hear this, this will all be up and available for pre-order. So if you have have been contemplating get into getting into NIDs, or if you're wanting to know like what the new NIDs are going to look like and whether you should pre-order them or not, you know, give us a you know. Hopefully, after you've heard this, it'll help you uh, make an informed decision. Uh, we and we know Space Marines will be our next codex. It sounds like I, I will say uh, I haven't heard word of it yet. Is as far as I can say on anything. But uh, we've. I am surprised to have Nids first out of the gate. Normally, it would be Space Marines first. So it's kind of nice to see see Xenos getting some love, even if it's a very toothy, angry love that wants to eat you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a lot of Space Marine reveals at the Nova Open Preview. Honestly, uh, yeah, yeah, because well, because Nids won the battle, like the Battle of Ulgrim or whatever the, mm-hmm. the little kind of mini campaign they did. So they got all their stuff revealed first. So yeah, it's pro- you're probably right that by the time you hear this, any new models for Space Marines and details on the Space Marine Codex will probably have been announced at Nova. 
But I think that wraps up our look at the first of the 10th edition codexes. Uh, and so we will be here in a couple of weeks to talk about uh, the things that have been revealed at uh, Nova, possibly even if we've seen if any balance changes come out after Nova or kind of I would hope that obviously they're going to wait because Nova is next weekend. So hopefully the week after that, we'll have some balance updates and can find out more about the the state of the game moving forward. Uh, But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I am your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, good night, good gaming, and uh, so far, First Codex, two Scything Talons up. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.